Well, good day. Thanks for joining us today for the Georgia Chambers Virtual Town Hall. Uh, we've got a great discussion for you today on equality and inclusion with our good friend Terrence Johnson from uh, the University of Georgia's Fanning Institute. Before we get into that, I do want to thank our sponsor, Anthem, uh, for all the great work that they do. And if you want to learn more about Anthem and the Georgia Chamber Small Business Smart Plan, you can go to gachamber.com and learn more there. I also want to tell you about a couple of upcoming events that we've got uh, in October and November. Our first ever American Rule Prosperity Summit will be in Athens, Georgia, October 4th through the 6th. Three great days of opportunities for you to learn about how to help your rural community, as well as get certification in a variety of areas. So we're working with uh, Rafael Bostic as one of our keynote speakers and a, just a great slate of men and women over those three days. <clears throat> I also want to encourage you. Uh, to register for our November 3rd through 4th Diversity, Equality, and Inclusion Summit here in Atlanta, an annual event that we do, so powerful, so impactful that we're growing that this year to a two-day event, and I hope that you'll join us there. Just go to gachamber.com slash events to learn more. But today, we're talking with Terrence Johnson. Again, Terrence is the Public Service Assistant uh, at the University of Georgia's J.W. Fanning Institute for Leadership Development organization that we've worked with for literally 40 plus years, building out Leadership Georgia and a variety of programs. And Terrence, you've been a great partner with us in a variety of, of formats over the last few years. And we appreciate you coming in the studio today Absolutely. to talk about equality and inclusion. You know, this issue is so vitally important. Yes. And our members ask us not only to have the dialogue, but mm -hmm. to also offer some training. So today we're going to do that. You and I are going to talk for a few minutes. Yes. Then I'm going to move this out of the way and give you the floor and let you walk us through the training. I've done it before mm -hmm. and it's just really great. Um, <clears throat> and then I'll let you do a plug for people that might want to use your services that's it, that's as well. It. Right. That. <laughs> right. So again, thanks everybody for being with us. And Terrence, I, I do want to spend a few minutes and I got a few questions for you, but first, Tell the audience just a little bit about your background, kind of where you, where you grew up, where you came from, and, and how you got into this, this role at the University of Georgia. Oh, yeah, and I'll make this as short as possible. Well, good morning, everyone. First off, it's always good seeing you. Yes, sir. Uh, so, again, I'm, I'm Terrence Johnson, and I'm originally from uh, St. Louis, Missouri. That's where I was born, but I was raised in South Central Los Angeles. Moved there at a very young age, uh, and to cut to the chase a little bit, uh, I got my teeth cut working with at-risk families and uh, children at risk, oh gosh, in South Central, working down at um, alternative schools, like a last stop hotel for Bloods and Crips. So I really learned a lot about <clears throat> families that were, were in jeopardy. From there, I went to Father Flanagan's Boys Town, spent uh, several years there, uh, and started Boys Town in Georgia in about 1995 or yeah. so. And then that just kind of catapulted, did all kind of leadership uh, um, uh, jobs around child welfare across the country. I worked with the Child Welfare Policy and Practice Group out of Alabama for a while, traveled all around, helped with child welfare reform in, in, in various states, and um, had an opportunity to build the largest foster, sibling foster care program here in the state of Georgia, Neighbor to Family, wow. uh, which is which was an outstanding, um, wonderful, wonderful team of people uh, to work with, and spent about 11 years with the United Methodist Children's Home as a vice president for the majority of those years. So yeah. then retired from child welfare, so to speak, and uh, got on with the University of Georgia, uh, which I love. I'm, uh, I do leadership training and development, and I work with chambers throughout Georgia and different parts of the United States, uh, everything from re, uh, working with conflict, reflective structured dialogue, to right. uh, community leadership programs, like you mentioned. Right. Wow, that's that's a pretty, that's a great so. elevator pitch speech, but obviously well-qualified to, to help us lead these discussions, which you've done 
for us now for the last several years and for so many Georgia communities. I, I want to jump in and, and have some specific questions about that I've get I've gotten from members, right? So one of the biggest ones has been this discussion. Early on, it, we talked a lot about diversity and inclusion, right? Mm -hmm. That's we spent years talking about That's that right. issue. But in the last couple of years, particularly, we've talked more about equality and equity yeah. as I think the conversation evolves yes. over time, right? And people get an understanding. But I think there's still a lot of confusion amongst you know business leaders and others about what is the difference between equality yeah. and equity, yeah, and that, why do yeah. both why do both matter? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they, they matter. That's a really, really good question. And, and I'm going to tell you, the examples are everywhere, Chris. Okay. I mean, it, and, and it's funny because what you all don't know is we as we set up the lighting in here today, we, we dealt with it. Yeah. I mean, because uh, when we walked in, we, we had equal lighting. Yep. We had lighting in here, but it wasn't equitable because one <laughs> of us has a shiny ball head, right? <laughs> right. And, <laughs> and it's a little darker than the other. Yep. And so what we had to do is we had to make it equitable. So you 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 got in there, you so you balance my light to fix me, yep. and you balance your light to fix you. So yeah, on on the surface, when I walked in, there was light here. It, it was equal light. We both had the same opportunity to the same light, but it wasn't equitable. I wasn't able to to reach my best potential under that light. Right now, that people may argue since they can see me clearly that, it, but that's another story. But I and I will also say this: even walking into your building, another example. I mean, you're on the 22nd floor, mm -hmm. and uh, you know. So let's just say the builder said we're going to make a building that is equal for everyone. We're going to have an entrance, and we're going to have stairs, so everyone has access to this building. Now. That, that's that's true. It's it's equal. We all have equal access. But the difference is, is to make it equitable, we have to think about that person that's eight and a half months pregnant, that person that has to carry up a heavy load. Well, we have to think about that person that may be in a wheelchair. Mm -hmm. And to make it equitable, what we have to do is put those ramps in, we have to put the elevators in, we have to make it so everyone can be here at work on time on the 22nd floor. And so all of a sudden, you know, yeah, we have something that, that seemed really, really equal, and it was equal in the beginning. But when we make it equitable, if I don't have the resources or same opportunities, I won't be able to reach that twenty-second floor. Got and it. so we miss out on so many good people and, and and good voices at the table by not doing that. So let's transition that into just in, into a business sense, right? So again, going back when I first started out there and. Uh, in state government literally 20 something years ago, you know, we had some directives, you know, make sure you have a diverse workforce, yeah, right? Yeah. And so we count, well, I mean, we had this many women, we yeah. had this many African-Americans, this yeah. many Latinos, and that's how we said we were being more diverse. And that's then right. the, the conversation in business became, well, how do you make it more inclusive? And so then we added new programs. So as we get here today, you know, what are some of those best practices businesses should be thinking about, not just the big companies with all the resources, but the small businesses, so they can truly be yeah. equitable yeah. in this discussion and yeah. how you help every employee, no matter where they started, get to their full potential. Yeah, yeah. That's, I like that question a lot. And I want to start with the first part of that. <clears throat> when you talk about being diverse, and I've worked with a number of organizations and businesses that hire for diversity, and, and, that, and that, that rubs me the wrong way. Okay. Even, even when, when boards um, mm -hmm. look for diversity to bring onto their board. Humans that you're interviewing, humans that you're talking to are not, they're not diversity, they're individuals. And so okay. if you are a diverse organization already, which you are, because you got, you know, 
got different employees there, gender and this and that. Um, and you're looking for a person who fits the qualifications and you bring that person on board and adds to a diverse unit, then you got something good. So let me give you a case in point. I was working with one particular uh, school, Metropolitan School, and they were looking for teachers. But the, uh, the person I was working with, I was consultants with said, I'm looking specifically for black teachers. And I said, okay, you hadn't said anything about the qualifications. You hadn't said anything about, you know, the capacity, which you're just looking for the photo op. And that's where the, the mm. rub is, is we're not, we're not doing this for the photo op. You want to find the right person for the right job. And heck yeah, you want to be intentional about making sure that you have a diverse unit put together, but to just solely seek out to get a black person, um, can sometimes backfire or a white person or a Latino person. And I'll talk about that a little bit when I have a chance to, to present. So that's a good lead in for that presentation a few minutes, but you know, I had a conversation with our staff a few years ago, some of some members of our staff, and we hire a lot of people right out of college, right? And we had the discussion was, listen, you know, these people came out of this college, they had uh -huh. these internships, you let them intern here for two years yeah. and, and they, they knew a lot, but now we have another student, a minority student coming in, came from an HBCU that couldn't get that internship, yeah. didn't have that background. They've got the same potential. That's it. But they need a little help. That's it. A little, just a little yeah. more help yeah. to get there. Yes. And that's, that's how yes. I yes. kind of think about yes. equity yes. component. Of it. I just got to tweak the lights a little bit for them. You hit it right on the head. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right, so we're going to come back to that in your presentation. Right. I want to shift gears. Let's talk a little bit about COVID for a minute. So during COVID, if you look nationwide, and, and Georgia's numbers were exactly the same as we saw nationwide, about 22% of all businesses had to close at some point. Yeah. Majority of those businesses reopened, but 40% of Black-owned businesses closed. Yeah. They haven't had the reopening at the same rate. And yeah. we know that there are intrinsic issues there with social capital, human capital, financial capital, yeah. you know, being underbanked. I'm curious from your perspective, anything else that's in the system out there that COVID highlighted to you that are potential problems or stumbling blocks for minority businesses to be successful? Yeah, yeah. Um, and that was a real sad stat to, to, yeah. to review. <clears throat> I took a look at some work out of uh, UC Santa Cruz and they talked about only 17% of, of white businesses uh, closed. Okay. And like I said, 40, 41% of, of black businesses. And um, further on in that study, what I read about was that 95% of those black businesses were shut out of PPPs. And so the reasons, I mean, I'm sure the reasons vary, right. uh, but I mean, that, that, that's huge because if you don't have access uh, to resources, especially those resources that were handed out. I mean, and there's all sorts of reasons why folks did not draw down those funds from not knowing how to, to not being, uh, you know, aware or not being timely with it or not having that person at a bank that was, I mean, you know, you gotta have those relationships. Right. And, and so, you know, even the banker make, even making the call saying, hey, you may want to get this in. Um, so it has to do with um, not only just you know, uh, the financial capital, but also the social capital uh, plays into it. Mm -hmm. And then many of these businesses, uh, from my understanding, were either restaurants or retail. Uh, and then they, they were hit hardest. I mean, right. so that, that's hard to survive. And they're still being hit hard and they're today, still being right? Hit hard. They're still being hit very hard. 
And so when, when you look at that, trying to survive a pandemic and many of these businesses, um, I also read that uh, had sole proprietorship. And so that made it very, very difficult to get the PPP loans because you need to have a, a full staff. And right. staff. So that, that was another challenge. So I mean, hmm. so the, the challenges just really, really, really mount up. Uh, and so um, when I think about it though, Chris, you know, I wonder, you know, what could have been in place to kind of help, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, I, and I think about, uh, like I said, I did foster care for I don't know, like 30 years of my career. And I think in those terms, so I think about, you know, what about these bigger businesses? What about these banks? And we're talking about equity. What if somebody reached back and just said, hey, I'm going to, I'm going to adopt you. I'm going to foster this program. Uh, I know you only have two or three employees, but just call me when you have some questions. And if things get kind of tight, let's talk about that. Because a lot of these businesses, uh, Chris, let's just be real frank. Um, they were not worth the risk for banks to take. Mm-hmm. A lot of banks didn't want to take the risk. Uh, and um, part of your job, my job out here is to teach people how to be a safe risk for banks. Right. That's just a reality. And so as we think about going forward, so that we're, if I'm hearing you right, we don't want this to happen again. If, mm-hmm. if you look at the statistics in Georgia, the fastest, the, the demographic group that's creating the most number of new businesses is actually Latinas. That's right. Right. That's right. But they also have the, <clears throat> have the highest failure rate. Yeah. And so make sure I'm getting this right. We've got to focus on financial capital. Yeah. So it's the banking components, financial literacy issues, mm-hmm. the human cat capital, which is the education, helping people, right? The getting them the, um, the skill sets that they need. But that critical missing piece mm-hmm. is that social capital, connecting the social that's networks right. and the mentorships. That's right. And that's, that's right. where yes. we really could see a difference. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Is, when you think about, maybe shift a little bit away from small businesses, but when you think about um, Georgians or Georgia businesses, past, present, that have kind of gotten this right, going yeah. back to the bigger issue of diversity, equality, equity, any, any gold stars out there, anybody that, that, you know, it gets a thumbs up for, you know, for moving in the right direction. Yeah, you know, and, and of course we have we have our hero here in, in Georgia, uh, MLK. Sure. You know, Dr. King um, nationwide just 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 scream for dignity for, right. for all, scream for human rights for all. I mean, so I mean, just again have to make sure give him his just due. Right. Uh, and then, but outside of that, I mean, just off the top of my head, Truett Cathy. I mean, and, and I think about uh, uh, Herman J. Russell. I think about. You know, uh, T. Dallas Smith, who was yep. mentored by Herman J. Right. Russell and, um, you know, people like Arthur Blank. And the unique thing about these individuals, Chris, is that not only did they stimulate the economy, this is the important piece. They stimulated hearts and minds. Mm-hmm. They reached back and they got folks encouraged and and they did that whole equitable piece. Um, I know specifically working with T. Dallas uh, Smith and his company. They reach back, they identify people who have the capacity, who have just just gifts galore, and they help put that box underneath them so they can reach the goals that they are that they're, they're attainable for. Well, and Mr. Russell said, you know, let, let's lift up the whole community. Let's make them proud of where they live that's and right. invest back in their communities and help them start businesses. And that's why we have the Russell Center now. That's right. And the great work that Jay Bailey and his team are doing over there, too. Absolutely. But those are... We need a longer list. We need a longer list. We do and need, we need that list. list in Macon and Columbus yes. and Albany and Valdosta yes. and every rural community in Georgia too, right? That's right. But and I'm sure that there are champions out there. 
yeah. that we could we could spotlight as well. But we yeah. need to have that that heart. Yes, yes, for yes. It statewide. So uh, and so, I'm going to steal from presentation just a little bit and okay. tell you about since you, you talked about rural Georgia because I, I have an opportunity to spend a lot of time in rural Georgia. Um, I won't mention the person's name because he he's a philanthropist and a, and a real good person. I don't know if he would like to have his name mentioned because he's not out for, for the shine, so to speak. But uh, he came to me about four years ago and said, Terrence, there's, there's not uh, a pipeline at all of black males in, in Moultrie, Georgia. We don't have any blacks on city council. We don't have blacks on any of the boards. It's just, it's just not there and it's not happening. And he said, uh, and he met with me and uh, Matt Bishop, which you know, mm -hmm. from, from the University of Georgia. And we sat and we talked and I said, well, let me, let me think about this and went away and thought for a little bit, prayed on it and all this and, and, and came back with this idea for a program. It's called Leadership Legends and it could be Google. Um, uh, we started about three years ago with the program and it's a program that identified, we identified for the first class, 13 black males. We didn't want to get uh, young men who were knocking it out of the park in school. We didn't want to get young men who were really, really doing bad on a real bad track. We wanted to go with that marginal group. And we took these young men through three years of intensive leadership skills and development. And we also did things to demystify uh, what a board meeting looks like, what a boardroom looks like. They got a chance to sit and be a flat on the wall in board meetings. <clears throat> they got a chance to go to the University of Georgia and talk to students that look like them at the University of Georgia to demystify what a dorm is like, what a big college campus is like. <clears throat> and so this all came from a white male coming to a black male saying, hey, what can I do in this community? And that's, that's, that's diversity, equity, and inclusion at, at its mm -hmm. finest. So now these young men, they graduate the 30th of this month from the program. Wow. And I'll show a picture of them when I'm doing my presentation. And uh, they're, they're awesome. I mean, they're, they're in the servant leadership. They have a the food bank. I mean, it's just, it's, it's just awesome. I, I really appreciate that story. And I appreciate the, the, the focus there because one of the pet peeves I've had for 30 years now working in leadership issues we have a great youth leadership programs all over Georgia. Matt Bishop had this conversation, but they always target the, the 5% that are going to go off and That's do great right. and That's have right. all the support systems behind That's right. us. That's right. And it's just one more thing on the resume. And we leave out those, those low B, high C students. That's right. They're going to stay in your community and That's have it. passionate mm -hmm. about your community and are going to make a difference. Yeah. We, they're on their own out there. That's it. And so this program actually takes mm -hmm. those kids and says, okay, yeah. you're, you're going to be leaders here in 20 years when all these other kids are off. You, living somewhere else. You, Chris, you're dead on. As a matter of fact, that initial conversation is we want the kids that are most likely to stay home. That's it. That's awesome. All right. So I got one last question. Then I'm going to turn the studio over to, right. over to you. So I, I'm curious here, you know, tell me about the first time that, that you felt or you experienced or were made to feel maybe for, you know, made to feel different for a reason, because a lot of what you're talking about is yeah. I feel different in the boardroom because yeah. I don't know how to be there. I, I don't yeah. know about a, a, class, uh, a dorm room. What was that like for you? Yeah. What was that experience? Yeah. Yeah. And I'll, I'll I, you know, and thinking about that, when you say boardrooms and I think about the different executive teams I've been a part of and different jobs, I mean, I've been the only black in, in many rooms and, yeah. and that, that was, that was, sometimes uncomfortable and sometimes I put myself in situations to be uncomfortable. Like I, I joined rotors, I joined national boards that, um, uh, you know, maybe one or two blacks on there, no blacks on there, just right. to keep that experience and stay sharp with that. Uh, there's so many um, elements to that, which I don't have time to go into, but I will tell you this, my very first experience uh, in thinking about this was 
uh, I didn't even know it had anything to do with race, to be honest with you. Uh, I was a, <clears throat> a very outspoken young young man uh, okay. when I was uh, four or five years old. And, uh, and so on about my third, I think I got, I want to say kicked out, but I was asked not to come back to a couple of daycares, right? And so, and I didn't know what was going on. I was just having fun. I enjoy life. I still do. And I, so I remember being in this, this kindergarten class. I happened to be at a Catholic school at this point. And I was, I was doing something cute in class, you know, just have, having some fun. And, and the, uh, the nun, this was back during the corporal punishment day, she okay. came over and she um, had me hold my hand out and she went to give me some licks. And no disrespect, but she had to be 117. <laughs> and so by the time her, um, her, her pointer would reach my hand, it just tickled me. And I laughed, laughed, laughed. She called um, the, uh, the head priest down. And he took me in his chambers and he beat the stew out of me with a paddle. And I, I knew that something was different. I mean, kids would always get taken to the coat room and these things would happen, but I knew something was different. So I, I told my mom and man, did I realize that I was being treated different and something was different. News crews got involved and it was oh a God. really, really big deal. And as a five-year-old, I'm looking around like, whoa. And so I'm in the midst of all of that. And, um, so that was my first true experience. Yeah. And then when I moved to Georgia uh, for a very short time and in the very early 70s, I'll talk about that just in a little bit uh, when I start presenting, but um, I, that's when I knew it was race. I was the only black in my elementary school mm. and I, I dealt with a lot of people. Um, you know, I had a fro at that point. I, I know. <laughs> that was a long time ago. Just a little bit ago. <laughs> And uh, kids just running by to see what my hair felt like and, and see if my skin would run off. And I chased my fight and all this. And but but that was the first time I truly knew that I was different. And people looked at me uh, in a different way. So that, that was challenging. Mm -hmm. uh, but um, like I said, I grew up in South Central. I've always been attracted to conflict. Yeah. And, uh, and so I, I, I didn't shy away from it. I wanted to learn more about it, understand it more. And that's why I, I do what I do now. Right. And we're better off for it. So. Hey, well. <laughs> and thank you. That's a great, great lead in. And so what we're going to do now is we're going to um, turn this over and let you take us through the training. So you all, we're going to talk a little bit about diversity, equity, and inclusion. So first and foremost, let's 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 just simplify all this. Um, we can get so technical with stats and uh, <clears throat> trends and. And, and a whole bunch of smart people getting together and, and having conversations and all the research. Y'all, this is real simple. When you think about diversity, what we're talking about is how in the world can we all, A-L-L, -L, all caps, how can we all get along? And how can we all figure out how to walk through this life, treating each other with dignity and treating each other fair? At the end of the day, that, that's all it's about. And so what I'm gonna spend time talking to you about today is just some of the antecedents to a lot of these different behaviors. So you have antecedents, you have behaviors, and you have consequences. A lot of times when we think about what's happening with uh, uh, a lot of these issues and conflicts around diversity, equity, and inclusion, we jump in at the behavioral piece. We jump in at what we're seeing that's happening, those, those behaviors that irritate us, those behaviors that rub against our values. But what, what we fail to do a lot of times is to step back and look at what were the antecedents, what needed to be in place ahead of time to make sure that we don't keep going over and over and over and begging for dignity for, for, for different people. So 
with that, my clicker is not clicking. All right, so when you hear about equity and equality, we talked about this already, but I just wanna briefly just, just touch on it again, as you can see, equality on the uh, left side of your screen there is, is you know, each person is provided resources and opportunities to, to reach an equal uh, uh, outcome. So in an equal situation, everybody has a box, right? Everybody has a box. And just like we talked about with the lights in the early example, we both had lights. With equity, just keep this in mind, that's when each person is provided the resources and opportunities needed to reach an equal outcome. So just keep that in mind. Don't, don't let that trip you up. And, and just, here's another illustration for you. As you can see, a bike was offered. A bike could have been offered to everyone, but to make it an equitable situation, we had to get a bike that someone who was in a wheelchair could use effectively. All right, so you hear about a diversity being uh, invited to the party, so to speak. And you've heard people say that inclusion is being asked to dance. But I wanna bring equity into all this as well. So think about equity. Let's say, you say, hey, Terrence, there's this great party we want you to come to, blah, blah, blah. Got the diversity. I'm at the party. And then someone says, hey, would you like to dance? And I'm saying, mm, I don't think so. Because what's happening on, this, on, the, on, the, on the screen here is that folk are doing the salsa. I don't know how to do the salsa. I don't care how hard I try. I don't care uh, uh, how I'm feeling a groove. I can't do the salsa. I'm gonna go ahead and take this off. I'm not gonna do the salsa though. But at, at any rate, the equity piece of it would be saying to someone, hey, there's a dance coming up. We'd love for you to come. You know, we got uh, uh, you know, folks that are gonna be there. Somebody's gonna more likely ask you to dance and to have you prepared, we're gonna have salsa lessons on Wednesday night. Now, everybody doesn't need salsa lessons because some people already know how to do the salsa. But that equity piece, you all, is making sure that I'm equipped so when I get to the dance, I'm included, that I'm able to perform. So I talked about these young men uh, earlier, uh, so I won't spend a lot of time talking about it, but uh, just last month, these are the gentlemen I spoke of from Leadership Legends and uh, we had a great time. They got a chance to meet with some of my friends who were judges and, and different people throughout the city. Uh, they came up from Moultrie, did the King Center. As you can see, we're standing right there on the steps of Dr. King's house. And again, that illustration that I gave you earlier was just an example of doing it right. This is someone who um, could take his, his, his financial capital and do anything with it. He could buy more, you know, more things. He could hang out with, with different friends doing different things. But what he decided to do is to invest in these young uh, African-American men. And now they went through a three-year program, they graduated. And as you can see, uh, uh, they're, they're just loving it. And then we had a really good time. Uh, here uh, at the uh, Civil Rights Center. Uh, there was one issue. Um, I thought my legs were a little bit bigger than they are, but uh, look too soon on those shorts, Terrence. All right. So what I wanna focus in on today, I don't have a lot of time with you, but I want this to be impactful. I want for you guys to be able to think about things differently uh, as a result of this conversation that we're having. We're gonna focus on early messages that you received as a child. We're gonna focus on something that's real, real basic. This is not hard stuff. It's really basic. 
if we simply love our neighbor, my question to you is, is there a need for all these boxes to be checked that I attended an equity and inclusion program? Is there a need for it? Because if we're truly loving our neighbor and if we're seeing someone truly for who they are, and we'll talk about that more, is there a need for it? Um, if, if we're doing that the right way, we're gonna jump into values. We're gonna talk about how values can kind of help and hinder us uh, as we look at um, being more equitable towards people. And then we're gonna look at some of the identity anchors. But first off, this is the key that I told you about earlier uh, in Smyrna, Georgia. And some of you uh, have heard me speak before and you've seen this photo. And um, you know, like I told you, I was the only black kid at this school and uh, it was just, it was something. I mean, I promise you, it felt like I was suspended at least twice when I was there. I just was highly misunderstood. And, and I just did not want people to tease me. I didn't want to um, have, have people touch on my hair or my skin or, or anything. So after a while, I got into a pattern of where I didn't, I didn't care what kind of attention I got, if it was negative or positive. I just wanted the attention after a while. And what I wasn't able to articulate at that point was that I was a, a pretty sensitive kid. A lot of that stuff hurt my feelings and it just came out uh, in, 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 in fighting. But what I simply wanted you all was to be seen, was to simply be seen, to be recognized as an individual, not as the black kid at the school. So we talk about early messages. This here is a picture of my grandfather. My grandfather, Lloyd Hughley, was born in 1910 in Wilmot, Arkansas. And when I think about my early messages, um, my grandfather set me up really, really nice, as well as my grandmother, because what they did with my mother is they gave her early messages that were awesome. So my mom gave me early messages that were awesome. I never once felt, um, like I was more than or less than anyone, black, white, Latino, it didn't matter because of the early messages I got. My grandfather um, picked a ton of cotton. He was a very big man. He's a very strong man. He later became a mason. He would just carry pounds of bricks, hundreds of pounds of bricks, uh, you know, without a wheelbarrow. He's a very strong man, but, you know, I never heard him raise his voice. I never heard him say a bad word about um, any race uh, or religion. And the way he carried himself modeled for me how I needed to carry myself. And so my early messages from my mom, my grandparents, and, and many of my friends were really positive about other races. So I didn't have a lot of things that I was stuck in. Of course, I dealt with uh, situations that were, were horrible. I got, I got stories like everybody else has a story, but my response was a little bit different because my early messages were not flooded with uh, uh, a lot of stuff that was just, just messy. No other way to put it. I want you to take a look at this caption here. I'll give you a second to read it. So when you look at this caption, it's interesting because what side is right? I mean, who, who's right? Uh, is it is it you know left or the right side? Everything is, is you know is covered except for her eyes. What a cruel male-dominated culture. Nothing's covered but her eyes. What a cruel male dominated culture. It becomes a matter of perspective, you all. And this is where things get tricky. When values get involved, <clears throat> we're talking about diversity, equity, and inclusion. And this is some of the simple stuff that we need to talk about because it gets really complex when we let it get out of control. So <clears throat> I talked about how I was taught to deal with conflict as a child. 
And what I want you to think about when you were a child, how were you taught to handle conflict? I mean, when it was peers and siblings, did you, did you, did you fight your siblings physically? I mean, when it came to authority figures, I mean, we're real clear with our kids now. I have three children. Um, if a cop pulls you over, the key is to make it home. Let dad handle that later. We're very clear. When I was little, we didn't necessarily have that conversation that specifically, but we did have a conversation. We had conversations. Um, you know, when you think about, you know, religious conversations that you had, I have some friends that I grew up with that if you weren't of a certain religion, they didn't want to have anything to do with you at all, at all. And, you know, when you think about another race, uh, I remember the first time that I experienced um, a, a racism, true racism, uh, as I talked to you about earlier. And man, I'll tell you, it, it, it hurt like nobody's business. And then as I watch uh, myself through college and, and in different jobs, it was really, really interesting because sometimes racism came from people that were even my mentors and that, that seemingly cared about me. I remember coming to the uh, state of Georgia, one of my mentors, he's passed on now. He came to me and he says, you know, Terrence, um, you can go to, uh, you can go to uh, uh, Philadelphia, open up a program, or you can go to uh, Atlanta, Georgia and open up a program, or he gave me another state. And so we're kind of talking and missing that. And he says, well, I need to be straight up with you. The reason I'm asking that is because we need you to go to city to a city that uh, has required for us to have uh, uh, someone with polka dots go. And I said, polka dots? What do you mean polka dots? He says, well, I don't want to say it, but you know, Atlanta needs a leader that has polka dots. And of course, he was talking about someone who was Black. I appreciated the fact that he was giving me an opportunity. I get all that, but it still cut. It cut like a knife um, just to be looked at that because, you know, if he would have led with my skills and abilities, and then on top of that, it would be an asset for you to go because they need someone um, that could represent the community. That's a completely different conversation. It's all in, in how you package it sometimes. Um, and then, you know, I think about how people are taught to deal with conflict of the opposite sex. Um, some people automatically look down uh, on, on the opposite sex or, 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 or have these different opinions. And a lot of the young people I work with, you know, I ask them, you know, with leadership legends, if a female was to walk up to you and, and uh, slap you in front of everybody inside the, uh, uh, the lunchroom, what would you do? To a man that first year, they say, I, I'd punch. But after we work with them, they, they, they saw the different um, options and better choices to take. And with different levels of education, how do you look at people with different le levels of uh, uh, education? So the key in all this, you all, is that when we're faced with conflict, sometimes we have these reactions that are not necessarily even conscious. I mean, what we do is we tap into our DNA. We tap into different parts of our brain, our unconscious, and we start to respond differently. And sometimes it just doesn't match the situation. And so let me be clear. If we're having a conversation around values, uh, we're having a conversation that has to do with religion, we're having a conversation that has to do with why you hired this person and not that person, or, hey, you know, we need more Blacks or we need more Latinos. For some people, boy, those are real hot button issues. 
And what happens is you guys are very familiar with adrenaline being released in our body, that whole fight or flight response. And you know what happens during this time is that emotional hijacking takes over and we stop using our frontal cortex and we start using that lizard brain. We're, we're back here and we're just dealing with our emotions. And it's just like the lizard, just like our friend, the lizard. I mean, when a lizard uh, gets caught, it's got to make a decision. I'm going to fight or I'm going to flee. And you all know what happens when a lizard decides to flee. It'll leave its tail. It's going to take off. When you're in a situation and that adrenaline is released in your body, your body has no way of separating this conversation from a bear being right in front of you. So let me explain. If a bear was to walk into your rooms right now and you look behind you know, from your computer screen, that bear was like, Rawr! what you would have is you would have that fight or flight go off in your body. That adrenaline would release. You'd have to make a decision. I'm going to take this bear. Or I'm going to fight this bear. I'm going to beat this bear down. Or you're going to say, I'm going to flee. I'm going to get out of this room somehow, some way, or you may just, just freeze up. All right. But you got to make a decision. But the key is, is you get into real binary thinking. If you're having a conversation around race, you're having a conversation around some value issues, equity and inclusion, and it starts to make you release that adrenaline in your body because you get kind of excited because it's going against some of your values and some of the things that you truly believe, you get into that binary thinking. This person has to be wrong, I'm right. You get to the point where you're just really just trying to prove your point. It becomes a win-lose situation. And what we have to do is to figure out how to kick ourselves out of that binary thinking from the lower part of our brain here back up to the frontal cortex and there's a lot of ways of doing that one of the best ways is to recognize when uh, it's happening but before we do that i've got to have you guys just share something with me and this this is this is uh this is really cool so i'm going to show you a video and the video is of a character called ultraman if anybody out there is really, really, really cool, you know who Ultraman is. If you don't know who Ultraman is, then, you know, we, we, can, we can still get you in a fan club. But let me tell you about Ultraman. When Ultraman would be out fighting the monsters in the early 70s, and he'd start to get, like, like sort of weak, he'd have this little flash to start to go off. And Ultraman would know, I got to fight on my planet. I got to get to my planet so I can get more power. He had a physical indicator that would let him know it's time for me to do something different because the way I'm responding and what's happening now is not going to work. So let's take a look at Ultraman really quick. All right, good stuff, good stuff. All right, so that, that was actually for my pleasure. I just hope y'all enjoyed it too. But so when you, when you think about what's happening with Ultraman, when that little flash is going off, that's his physical indicator. You all out there listening have physical indicators. What is that physical indicator that's going off in your bodies before you start to get upset? So you're having this conversation around race. Oh my goodness. You start to notice that you have sweaty palms. You start to notice that Man, my, my heart is beating kind of fast. What's happening is, is that your physical indicator is letting you know that that fight or flight response is about to be released in your body. 
you all, if we're in a workplace or we're in a professional environment, if we're having a conversation with someone about religion or things of that sort, that's a bad time for that to release and for us to get into a very binary thought process with people. So when that happens, if you start to perspire, whatever it is, I have people tell me that their physical indicators like butterflies in their stomach. Some people say their ears get hot or red. You know, they just feel their muscles tensing up. When that happens, pay attention to that. And just take a deep breath, a couple of deep breaths. Get your, yourself calmed down so you can push that thought process back, process back up to the executive functioning where you can relax, you can relate, you can reason, and you can make some good, clear decisions. So how do we humanize all this stuff? All right, let's talk about that. My challenge uh, to you all is, is to try building trust-based relationships. It's real simple. We make this so difficult. We get so smart. But when you build trust-based relationship, you all, things happen. I may pronounce this word the wrong way and somebody can correct me later. It's uh, bona is how I read it. I'm sure it's Salbana. Uh, but what it is, I know what it is for sure. Uh, it's a Zulu greeting. And it simply means, I see you. I see you. It's, it's, it's recognizing the brilliance of a person as an individual and recognizing them as a dignified human being and what a greeting i see you i learned this uh, maybe about 20 years ago from a friend of mine who happens to be white who visited africa and he came back and he told me about this and i just i was i was just it just it just took me away and he just said he says terrence when people greeted me and he said i see you and my return to them is i see you as well it, it was powerful uh and ultimately just like that little kid that I showed you at that uh, school in Smyrna, Georgia, what did I say at the end? I just wanted to be seen. I want you to see me. I want you to recognize my worth, uh, the dignity uh, that I have as a person. So a couple of ways to get to this, folks, is, uh, and I, I won't go into deep, a deep dive with this. Uh, I'll do so maybe when we get together in Athens, but effective engagement uh, and be genuine. Uh, you hear a lot of talk right now about emotional intelligence, about being authentic. The key is to be genuine. And if you look at these top three, genuineness, empathy, and respect, those are not skills. Those things can't be trained. This is stuff that has to come from within. This is intrinsic. This goes to those early messages. This goes to those values. So when you think about being genuine, what is that to you? What does that mean to be genuine? Is it to be honest? Is it to be true to yourself? You know, as long as it doesn't infringe on the rights of others, people can tell when you're genuine. Be genuine. Wait, showing empathy. Showing empathy in your workplace. I mean, it's easy to say uh, those, those words, but ask yourself, when is the last time you joined someone in their pain? When is the last time you joined someone in some challenges that they were having? You know, you actually join, you actually walk with them in that. Uh, to gain understanding, uh, not to guide, not to direct, but just to gain understanding. And then respect. How can you tell if you're respecting someone? Simple answer is you ask them. You ask them, was that respectful? Especially if you had a tough conversation. Uh, and then the last piece here is you all be intentional, have a strategy. When you talk about diversity, equity, inclusion, ha have a strategy because the way you set things up today is gonna speak to your future as a business and, and more importantly as individuals okay a couple questions before we wrap up i need for you to constantly ask yourselves whose voice is not at the table meaning 
I mean, are, 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 you, are you going out? Are you learning? Are you talking to different people? Are you bringing different voices in the room? Not necessarily hiring everyone, but all those voices at the table. And then ask yourself who is actually missing or not welcome currently at the table. Be honest with yourselves and get some of those people at the table. And the big challenge here is asking yourself, what's your personal evolution? I mean, sometimes we get in these grooves, right? We get in these grooves, we say stuck in those early messages, we say stuck in those values that, you know, that were good or maybe not so good. We say stuck. What is your personal evolution? What have you done differently? What have you changed uh, from other thoughts, from some of the thoughts and messages that you received as a child? Then the next question I have for you is, how do you ensure diversity of thought? It's cute to get the photo op. I've worked with a number of boards across the, uh, the state and, and throughout the country. And many uh, boards say, hey, we, man, if you look at us online, we, we, we look great. But what we really want is diversity of thought. We want people to come in and feel comfortable enough to challenge that groove that we're in, challenge that pattern of thinking that we're in. And ask yourself, how do you ensure diversity of thought? How do you encourage people to speak up? How do you reduce that feeling of fear in your workplaces? I know you know the answers, you just have to be intentional about it. And the last thing I wanna share with you is ask yourself, is it time to, to uproot? Is it time to just do things totally different? The trick about uprooting is sometimes those roots run deep. And when you come against values and you come against ways of thinking that are, um, deeply rooted like an oak tree. I mean, if you look at that oak tree and it's shooting super high up in the air, you got to think about those roots equally shooting just as far underneath. So when it's time to uproot, uproot be prepared. Be prepared to know that um, you're going to have to deal with uh, feelings of loss and, and go through all those uh, changes, uh, stages of change and, and grief. So be, be uh, ready for the long haul. I want to thank you for your time here today. Uh, and uh, as Chris said earlier, if you would like to know more about what we do at the JW Fanning Institute, uh, you can email me there at tdj at uga.edu uh, to learn more about our community leadership programming, uh, any of our work around conflict or, or diversity, equity, and inclusion, or uh, anything that we do with youth programs as well. Uh, please feel free to give us a call. Again, I want to thank you for your time, and I wish you well as you make this a better place. Thank you.